You're listening to episode 86 of the Mud Stories podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are never, ever alone. Super glad you're joining me again this week as we dive into another mud story, all so that we can gather in community and know that we are never alone, that God is with us in our mud, through our mud, on the other side of our mud. He will never leave us, and we can hold on to that promise together, and I'm so glad you're here. Caitlin Bushillen is here to share her personal mud story, a story of broken friendship, loss of community, a brain tumor diagnosis at age 17, and the struggle of singleness that she's facing even now in the in-between places in her life. And I think we all have in-between places, places where we're not where we wish we could be. And we just need someone to link arms with us, hold our hand, and walk alongside us so that we know we're not alone and just help give us a perspective that maybe we can't see. And so over the years, so many of you have written to me and I try my best to respond to each and every one of you, but I've decided that I really have a passion to want to serve some of you in this way. And so I've created a link that allows you to sign up to work with me for some coaching sessions. And so if you're interested, if you're in an in-between place and you need a friend to walk alongside you, to give you a biblical perspective, to encourage you, to maybe help you set some goals, to maybe walk you through the pain of some crisis that you're facing right now, maybe it's a place where I've been that you're walking through, I would be so honored and privileged to be able to do that with you. And so I've created a link. It's JackieWatkins.com forward slash coaching. That's J-A-C-Q-U-E-W-A-T-K-I-N-S dot com forward slash coaching. And so while there are only a limited number of spots available, I am praying for whoever it is that needs help and assistance and coaching and encouragement. It would be such an honor and privilege to be that person for you. And so reach out to me. I can't wait to hear who you are and what you need and we'll journey through some mud together. Today, Caitlin is here, and I can't wait for you to hear all that she has to share. I think it's going to be an encouragement to you. And so, without any further delay, here we go. Hey, Caitlin, it is such a joy to welcome you to the Mud Stories podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jackie. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited you're here, and I first met you through some mutual friends over at Encourage that we have. I'm going to just start off with asking an obvious question because I can pronounce your first name, Caitlin, but please give us all a tutorial. How do we say your last name and what's the origin of it? And I'm sure there's a story there. Well, I think originally it's French. That is it looks French. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure at one point people said Bouchillon or something fancy, but <laughs> we are from Georgia <laughs> originally, so it's not fancy at all. It is Bouchillon. Bouchillon. And, okay. Yes. In the way um, I started to have to explain it to you, my college teachers, was if you just think you're chilling with Bouchillon, <laughs> then you'll get it right every time. <laughs> 
And I personally hate that description. I love it. <laughs> but they get it right every time, so it's worth it. So if you just think that, you'll get it. Right. And that makes it easier when we see it on social media. We'll be able to know, Caitlin Bouchillin, like we're chilling. Yes, love it. exactly. <laughs> I love it. So, Caitlin, I have to know the backstory. Will you share it with us about the title of Even If Not, how you came to that, and what even is an ampersand? Because I will tell you, until I started reading your words, I had no idea what that word was. <laughs> okay, I have to tell you, I, well, first of all, an ampersand is like a grammatical thing. Okay. <laughs> it is basically the symbol for the word and. So if you're typing on your phone or something and you connect two words with the word and, you might put an ampersand. You just wouldn't know that's what it is. It's just so it, are you talking about that squiggly thing that kind of looks like a treble clef but then comes down at the end and swirls yes. like that? It's almost like a like a figure eight. Yes. But then there's like a little bit hanging off the right side at the bottom. <laughs> yes. Um, so that's an ampersand. And they are everywhere once you know what they are. It's like, you know, when you buy a new car or you're looking for a new car and you see, oh, I might want a green one. And then you're driving down the road and every car around you is green. <laughs> once you know what they are, you'll see them everywhere. But that symbol started showing up in my life all over the place. I was like, what is this? I just, I don't even know what it is. And then about the same time, I started reading the book of Daniel in the Bible and got to chapter three and just kind of stopped because the story there gripped me and connected with the ampersand. And so there are these three guys and their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And for anyone who grew up in church, those names are probably somewhat familiar. You probably, you know, had felt figurines or something when you were, you know, <laughs> little. <laughs> but it's not a story that's really taught from a pulpit, at least in my experience, because it's not necessarily a pretty story. And these three guys were taken and they were exiled to a foreign land. They were young and probably about 18 years old, somewhere around there. And so they're taken from their family, everything that they know as normal in their livelihood. And they are forced to fight and to, I mean, these three guys were lucky enough to be in the palace, but they're still, they're not free by any means. Right. And so at one point, King, King Nebuchadnezzar, which is a mouthful, and I'm not right? going to spell it. <laughs> That's my book. I call him King Neb because it's like, this is, no. <laughs> King Neb. Good old King Neb. If your name is Nebuchadnezzar, you need a nickname. Which, so, as a side note, King Neb actually is quite a lovely redemption story in and of himself. But, but yes, you know, that's a side note. <laughs> but not at this point. <laughs> right. Not at this point. He so, is bad news. There. Yes. So he... Um, He's a little bit prideful, and he wants everyone in the kingdom to worship him. And so he builds this idol that is about nine stories tall. So next time you're driving down the road, find a building that's about nine stories tall, and then just picture it being a statue. <laughs> and they're in the Dura Plain, D-U-R-A. And when I researched it, it's just very flat and mm -hmm. empty. And so in the midst of this vast kind of wasteland, there's a nine-story tall idol. 
And when the music starts, everyone in the kingdom faces the idol and then bows down. Mm -hmm. And if they don't bow down, then the punishment is to be thrown into a blazing fire. Like a big furnace, like a room that's a furnace. Exactly. Yeah. So there's there's no hope <laughs> of coming out alive. Like it's just not even going to happen. And so these three guys, um, they were actually elevated in leadership. They had been so faithful in serving the king that they had been kind of promoted. Even though they're still not free, they have moved up the ranks. And they don't bow down. When... Other people see that they don't bow down. They send word to the king, and the king gives them another chance because so far they've been loyal. They've been great. and They've served him well. Right. And he says, okay, I'm going to give you one more shot. If you will bow down to me when the music starts again, then I'm just going to pretend this never happened. Mm-hmm. And they say, you know, king, like, we respect you. I'm, obviously, this is my own words, but... <laughs> yeah, of course. We respect you, and we... Um, We know that you are in a position of power over us, and we believe that you will do what you're saying you will do. But we also believe that our God will come through for us. And so we're not going to bow down. We're going to keep standing against everything that you throw at us because we believe God will come through. But even if he does not, we're still going to obey him. Hmm. And that phrase is why I couldn't move on to Daniel 4 (laughs) or 5 Hmm. or 6. Because I kept thinking, where in my life is God asking me that? Where is he saying, will you trust me to come through? And then will you trust me even if I don't come through how you want me to? Mm. And so the story continues and they don't bow down and they're thrown into the furnace. And it's so hot that the men who were carrying Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they were all tied up, The men who carried them died from the heat of just being so close to the furnace to throw them in. Mm -hmm. But when the king looked at the furnace, I'm sure he expected to just see fire. (laughs) He saw three men and then one more figure. And theologians, you know, speculate about this. Was it Jesus? Like, Like, who was this fourth person? And just personally, I'm, I think it was Jesus or the Holy Spirit Um, but they weren't alone, even in the flames and they stood for what they believed in. And long story short, when they come out, the King calls for them. (laughs) How did you live? How did this happen? Um, and they say, well, it was God. He didn't come through how we asked him to, he came through a different way and he did so, so that you would see his glory Mm -hmm. and the King makes a new proclamation and says, you're not going to worship me or this idol anymore. Instead, the entire kingdom is to worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Mm. And it changes everything. Everything. Um, And it it doesn't seem, at least for me as I was reading it, it's like this is just one moment. But putting myself in that position and then trying to think where God might be asking me that today, um, just thinking what could hang in the balance you know, of whether we're going to say, yeah, even if he doesn't come through, he's still good. He's still God. Because if we fall for idols, then we're no longer falling for God. For him. For lack of a better way of saying it. So 
that's where the title came from, even if not. And then the amber sand is connected to that of saying, when we're in the middle of our story, we're in the middle of a hard place, will we still trust him? And all of us face our own in-betweens, right? Our own ampersands in life, whatever it is we're dealing with or facing. And I know there's no question that you've lived in the in-between. I know you write a lot about it. So, Caitlin, let's walk through what you've discovered. Uh, and let's, let's go back. You grew up in Florida, but now you live in Alabama. Tell us about your growing up years, your family. And then as you hit middle school and high school, a situation happened that got kind of muddy with community. What was growing up like for you in Florida, and how did you end up moving through that? Well, I'm the oldest of four. I have three younger brothers. And you have three brothers. Yes, I do. Ah, you're the queen <laughs> of the tribe. experience, for sure. <laughs> I know all about sports and cars and all those things, thanks to them. So, Oh, that's um, the best. They're awesome, though. I love them. I love but it that. was a very active household, and so it was... You know, there's always noise, always something going on, um, uh, something to attend, whether it's a baseball <laughs> game, basketball game. Um, for me, if it was a play or drama or something. Yes. And so we always had something going on. We, because of my parents, were super involved in church. They are very servant-hearted, and so we just kind of followed in their footsteps. Um, and one other, I guess, key piece of information is that I was homeschooled my whole life, and so my church community was really my community as a mm, whole, yes. and so I spent a, a lot of time there. Not all my time, but we were there more than just Sunday and Wednesday night, <laughs> so we were there a lot, and there wasn't too much that really happened. It was just a good childhood, and then the end of sophomore year, going into the summer, um, my church community went through a shift and it was muddy. That's for sure. There were five of us and for lack of a better way of explaining it, ran the youth group, but in a good way. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, you were in leadership. Yes, we were in leadership. We, we were the ones who would, you know, sign up for the next thing right away. Um, because we wanted to, not because of any pressure. We just loved that. And we had been together as a group of, of five people for several years. And then my best friend and I, who was one of these you know, other four people, had a fight. And it was really ugly. <laughs> we hadn't really fought before. And honestly, I still couldn't tell you what it was about. Because I don't know. It just it just spiraled out of control. Um, and that was in May. And then through the summer, um, I kept trying to, you know, kind of patch things up or see if we can at least be friends, even if it, it wasn't going to look how it looked before. That was for sure. But I still wanted there to be something there. And unfortunately, it kind of split the youth group because we had been so close before suddenly two people just weren't talking <laughs> and they didn't mm -hmm. the rest of everyone else didn't know what to do with that the dynamic changed right and I don't 
I blame them 0% because I would have done the exact same thing. I would have wondered what in the world happened. Um, and I just, Jackie, I just refused to talk about it to anyone at that point because I felt like the issue was between me and my friend. Mm-hmm. And so my silence kind of came across as I'm not willing to even discuss this with anyone because I feel guilty. Um, I think it just came across as, well, Caitlin's not going to talk about it, so she must have something to hide. Mm. And so it became just me. (laughs) So what ended up happening? How did you sort through it? Um, I struggled (laughs) for a really long time. Those months were the worst ever. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. um, I think it was just heightened because that was my only community at that point. And so when that broke, it was me and my immediate family and Jesus. And that was it. And I can say that and not get emotional because I'm, you know, six, seven years removed. Mm -hmm. But I was just I was a basket case. (laughs) I was a disaster. Um, I did not know where to turn because there was nowhere else to turn except Jesus. And, you know, at the, at the time I knew that was a gift that he was there, but I didn't realize how precious it was because for anyone who's listening, who has been there, they'll know, (laughs) they'll understand the truth of this. When he is all you've got, it is so painful, but it is so rewarding in the same moment because it turns out that he's enough. And when everything else is gone and it's just him, there's, at least for me, it was very lonely and it was pretty dark and I didn't know what to do, but he proved to be more than enough. And that's a lesson that I don't know if I could have learned any other way, at least to the extent that I learned it. So... What would you say to the person today who is experiencing what you're describing? You know, they have been terrified of being alone and yet their worst nightmare has come true. And or maybe they're not physically alone. Maybe they're in a family or in a community, but internally with their own selves, they feel alone. They feel unseen. They feel unknown. How do you press through that? What would you say to them to choose to get to a place where you can accept that Jesus can be enough? Well, the first thing I would say is that they're not alone. And that is what I needed to hear more than anything else in that time. And it was also the thing that seemed the most untrue (laughs) Mm -hmm. because everything around me seemed to be screaming. You are on your own. There is no one else on your side. No one is listening. No one sees. But the truth was that I could see down later down the road, I could look back and see that God did see and he, he made us how we are and he wired us for community. And so it's very important to him. So after saying you're not alone, I would say, don't give up (laughs) because Mm. he will bring his people to you. It probably won't be right away because you got to find that he's faithful first, but he will bring his people For me, that took um, three to four years. And then even when he did bring his people around me, I was so walled off. Mm -hmm. Um, I I did not trust anyone. Um, In fact, I had convinced myself that 
love didn't exist in the world except for Jesus. Yes, he came and died and he loves me. But other than that, love was dead to me. And it took a really long time to reverse that because I had trusted these people so dearly and so much, and they had not proved to be faithful. But the truth is no one in our life is ever going to be completely faithful to us because we're human. Mm -hmm. We're going to mess up at some point. And so I, oh man, it it was just hard. (laughs) Yeah, I can't imagine. And then before you could even get to a place where you could recognize healing in this area, there was more mud for you to walk through Mm -hmm. in preparation for getting there. So before we talk about how you found community again and all that God did in that, there was a time in the next year or two after this situation where you thought you had some severe episodes of food poisoning, mm-hmm. but it yes. didn't end up being food poisoning. Tell us what ended up happening. Well, all the, the friendship stuff happened in May. And then the following February, so almost a year later, yeah, I thought I had food poisoning and I had never had it before. And I was throwing up all day long and I had worked the night before I used to work at Chick-fil-A and yeah for Chick-fil-A yes gotta love (laughs) the Christian chicken (laughs) it's so good (laughs) and I can say that after five years of seeing how it's made and all that stuff it is so good I know we tried going there on Sunday my kids begged me and then I realized guys we can't go to Chick-fil-A it's Sunday they're closed they're like oh (laughs) always want it more I know I know Anyways, Anyways, so I had worked the night before and I just thought, well, maybe, you know, some something weird was happening with me and I just had food poisoning. And um the next day I woke up feeling fine and thought, okay, I don't know what that was, but at least it's over. Mm-hmm. And then three weeks later it happened again and I had worked the night before. I thought, well, this is just the weirdest. And So I shrugged that off because the next morning I was fine again. And then two weeks later to the day it happened and I had not worked in like a day or two. And so at that point I thought, okay, this is not food poisoning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it couldn't be, you know, anything from work. And it's also now two weeks instead of three weeks. So something's got to be going on. Um, And And I always say that I was sick because I don't know how else to put it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But what I mean by sick is that I would just literally live in the bathroom from the time I woke up until the time I fell asleep um, on the floor in the bathroom at night. And then I'd wake up the next morning and go about my life. Um, Was that your only symptom? Nausea and vomiting? Yes. um, That and dizziness. Mm -hmm. So when I'd be you know, we sleep horizontal and then I'd open my eyes in the morning and it was like extreme seasickness almost. It was like everything around me was spinning and I was spinning the opposite direction. So it was just like, wow, it was just a mess. (laughs) Um, eventually doctors said I had vertigo, which they were wrong, but, um, I guess maybe (laughs) that's what vertigo is. I don't know. Um, Something with dizziness. And so that is what would make me run to the bathroom um, and have nausea all day because I couldn't get my mind to connect with what my eyes were seeing. And obviously I couldn't go anywhere when this was happening. 
um, because I would throw up about every 20 to 30 minutes. And so we finally, you know, we'd just go to the doctor the next day. And for the first little bit, they, you know, did blood tests. They tried all sorts of things and everything um, came back normal, which was really disheartening (laughs) because you don't want something to be terribly wrong with you, but you also want an explanation so that you can take some medicine or, or right. something to living fix in it. the bathroom 24 seven is not ideal living. I mean, it's not, ideal. <laughs> not ideal. No, no, no. It's not really the best way to live a life. And Your parents so, must have been terrified. I, I think they were. I think they also didn't say too much because they didn't want me to become more nervous. Right. Um, but we didn't really as far as I know, even to this day, we didn't really tell anyone about it because what do you say? There, there weren't any answers at that point. And no one really at church knew it was happening because I couldn't go to church if I was sick. And when I was there, I looked fine. Mm-hmm. So finally in June, um, the episodes, as I just call them now, were happening more frequently, but I had been planning all year to go to Jamaica on a mission trip with my church. And I was not going to miss it. Like it just was not going to happen. I had been with my church to the same place two years earlier. And I just couldn't imagine not going back when given the opportunity. So I begged my parents and I was able to go and I took my vertigo medicine with me, which of course didn't help at all because I didn't have vertigo. And so I had my my bag of medicine and um, I was okay on the trip. I did get sick one time, um, but I came back and the next day back in Florida, I woke up and I couldn't move my neck. And that's when I just Mm. freaked out. Um, I have a pretty high pain tolerance and I definitely don't like for people to see me cry, but I couldn't help it. <laughs> I couldn't move my neck even a centimeter in any direction without extreme pain. And so I made it to my mom's room and I said, we, I'm not okay. <laughs> I'm just not okay. And so we went to the doctor's office immediately. And because of it being more of an extreme symptom, we were... I guess, able to see not a better doctor, but someone with just more experience in that field. Mm -hmm. And so specialist. Yes, that's the word. And I was so grateful because the previous time I had gone, they, the person who had been seeing me told me that they thought I was just making everything up because nothing was showing in the paperwork that I was actually sick. Mm -hmm. And at that, I was just, I was flabbergasted and frustrated. Right. If you could, you're like, who makes this up? Like, do you really think I want to throw up all day? <laughs> it's like, why would I be here? Anyone in my real life will tell you in a heartbeat. I do not like going to the doctor. I don't like taking medicine. I just don't like it. I'll do it if I need to, but I don't want to. And so, for me to go so many times and then hear, oh, it's just she actually said it's all in your head, and I was Aww. just frustrated. Um, and it's funny now because it technically was all in my head. It was all <laughs> second. <laughs> but it's like you're it's so just, cute. It's just it was frustrating at the time. But anyways, this specialist said, "Okay, well you can either do an you can get an MRI or a spinal tap." And I know that, you know, 
I know your job. I know <laughs> I know that you know what those are. Yes, ma'am. Or anyone listening who who hasn't learned these things, you should get the MRI. Just <laughs> word of advice. <laughs> and right. I, I am a big fan of the TV show Grey's Anatomy. Okay. And so I knew what those two things were. And so I said, I'm going to go with the MRI. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you said, well, if we don't find anything in this, then we'll need to do the spinal tap because what it most likely is, is one of your, um, I think he said vertebrae, maybe, um, just might be off just by a little bit or so, something yeah. weird. I don't really totally understand. I'm not in the medical field. Well, obviously. they knew something in your head was causing dizziness. Yes. Yeah. Something had to be throwing it off, but they just weren't sure what. Mm-hmm. And so I got the MRI on a Tuesday night and was supposed to go in Thursday for the results. And Wednesday morning, I woke up sick again. And then they called and said, you need to come in as soon as you can. Which obviously, that's not good news if you can't wait one more day. Mm-hmm. But the other thing in my mind, I was thinking, well, this is good because now they're going to see it. Like you have I'm an answer. Yeah, sick, and they're going to see me sick, and they're going to believe this and do something to help me. And so we got there, and they set us down as me and my mom, and they take you you know, in the room that you never want to go in Mm -hmm. (laughs) and sit you down on the couches. And, um, he just said, um, he's like, I I don't know how to say this except to just come out with it, but you have a brain tumor and we don't know how long it's been there. You might've been born with it. Um, and now it's large enough to be showing symptoms or maybe it just came recently. We're not sure, but we need to do further testing and then it needs to be removed as soon as it can be. And the testing showed that it was about the size of a golf ball and it was pushing on my spine. So mm-hmm. at the back of my head on my spine, mm-hmm. which is why I was not able to move my neck and then why I was so dizzy. Um, and I was 17. I was about to enter my, my senior year of high school and this was not at all in the plan. <laughs> not that it's ever in anyone's plan, but mm-hmm. it just, it took me by surprise. Um, but at the same time, it made so much sense. And I, I want to be really careful when I say this because I don't want to sound callous in any way to anyone who is dealing with a sickness or a loved one who is sick. But I was just so grateful to have an answer, even though it wasn't a good answer, just to know, okay, I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not making all of this up. And hopefully they're going to be able to do something about this and fix it. Most of the time people say, well, were you scared? What, What was your reaction? Because I was young and I hadn't really experienced too much in life, but I had the most supernatural peace and it was nothing, nothing at all that I could have done for myself. Um, but I just felt like God was present in the room and that he was sitting next to me saying, it's going to be okay. It's just going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a promise that he would heal me on earth, but it was a promise that no matter 
what the outcome was, I would be okay. And so... Well, and through your brokenness of a loss of community, he'd been laying the foundation and groundwork to help you know that walking alone with him is good. In a way, sort of preparing you to face this surgery. It was. It 100% was. And, you know, the, the previous nine months before, well, at that point, it had actually been a year. So the previous year, I kept praying Number one, God, please heal these broken relationships. I can't do that. I can't do the healing. You have to be the one. But two, can you make something good come out of it? Because this is just ugly. This is just a mess. So I, I want to see some sort of beauty come out of this. What was the point? <laughs> like, why, why would you let this happen? Um, and when I got that diagnosis and then the next week, um, a week later, I had surgery, and um, the the one thing that I knew, besides that God was going to be present, was that He was my best friend, and so I wasn't by myself. And community did not suddenly show up. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't like it fixed what had been broken. But it showed me that beauty could come out of what was broken because the previous year I had spent every day learning how Jesus was my best friend. Mm -hmm. And so I, because of that, because of what was broken, he mended it in a way that I could not have foretold <laughs> or foreseen. Right. But he used it to kind of pull me into him and help me go to him as soon as I got the news because there was no one else to go to. Mm -hmm. And sure, I mean, I wish I had I wish I had community in my life at that point, but part of me is so grateful that I didn't because that was part of the plan and it would have looked my story would look very differently if Jesus was not the only one I had to rely on at that point. Mm -hmm. Well, there are some things we can only learn through suffering. Mm -hmm. And like God's Word says, our, our suffering produces perseverance and character and hope, and hope doesn't disappoint. And this is what God was graciously allowing you to learn at a young age through what seemed like deep pain at the time, which actually it didn't seem like deep pain. It was deep pain. Uh, but some of us don't have the opportunity to learn that until a much older age. And the stakes can sometimes be even higher and tragedy of our own choices can compound it. And so God in his graciousness, I think, allowed and sent adversity to you in these moments to prepare you just for what you were created to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you had surgery. Yes. What in, What happened? Um, about a month and a half, eh, maybe a month later, uh, we found out that it was not cancer and I am just incredibly grateful for that. And every year still get tested and scanned and all that good stuff. Um, just to make sure that it hasn't come back. We have had one scare since then, but everything has been good. Um, there are still symptoms but it is nothing compared to what it could be. So mm. health-wise, 
that's part of my story, but it is just also part of me. And so it's not something that I think about all the time. It's just something I carry with me. Right. Um, I explained it to someone the other day as, well, you have an arm and a leg and they're just there all the time. You don't think about them. You just use them. It's part of you. And that's how I feel about the brain tumor. It well, thankfully, it's not part of me anymore, but but the story is part of who I am and something that God has called me to share. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't, I would not rewrite my story. I'm glad that he wrote a brain tumor into my story because it brought me closer to him. So I'm grateful for it. Mm-hmm. As strange as that is to say, no, it's true. I think we all can find a place of gratitude for what it is we walk through, no matter how muddy it is. Share with us what happened in the course of events after that moving through college, because you didn't stay in Florida for college, right? Correct. You moved, and then tell us how God began to heal that in-between time through community. Well, I moved to the good old South. I moved (laughs) to Birmingham, Alabama. Um, It is a totally different culture by far. Um, (laughs) Florida is, well, South Florida is much more Northern than Southern Mm -hmm. when it comes to culture. So it's just a different way of life. And something about the South that I love is that community is so important. A lot of the people here have been here their whole life and they have no plans to go elsewhere. And so coming from a place where I didn't have community to a place where it was just so important reminded me of what I had previously had. And I was sad. <laughs> I, I wanted that, but I didn't know how to find community. And if I f- could find it, I didn't believe that I could trust it. So mm. it was... So you were guarded a bit. I was uh, a bit. <laughs> I, was, a I was very guarded. <laughs> um, but something, it took a long time for me to realize this, but something that I don't even know who said it, but someone said the, to the extent that you wall yourself off is the extent that you're not going to have community. Mm -hmm. And it's the same way with, with joy to the extent that you allow yourself to feel joy and happiness is the same extent that you allow yourself to feel sadness. So if you just kind of hover in the middle saying, well, I'm not going to trust, I'm not going to have joy. I'm not going to whatever then we're not really going to move the opposite way either. Right. And yet, even in the middle of it, here you were living in the in-between that you write about, this in-between of living, loving, and learning. Mm -hmm. And I love how you write, will we choose to believe he will be enough even if the only answer we receive is him? Mm -hmm. And can we believe that when we dream about what could be, that we could remember that he is already in the future that we're imagining. Right. Which is the lesson that you're learning even in the midst of finding your way back to healing through community. But I'd love to offer people hope in what eventually happened and how you found community because it's a beautiful story. Well, I would love to talk about that. It is happy. (laughs) It is. Um, It makes me so happy. And for all of us, whatever in-between we're in, God has... God has something on the other side of the in-between, but I think learning to believe he's enough is the message you're championing. Yeah. You know, something that I write in the book 
that I've had a couple people say, what does this really mean? I say, sometimes the skeletons that are hanging in your closet become the dry bones that teach you how to dance. And Mm. by that, I mean the things that are dead, the skeletons that you kind of hide, that you don't want to look at, you don't want anyone else to see. Um, And for me, that was broken community. Sometimes those skeletons have a purpose greater than we can even imagine. And those things that are broken teach us how to dance again. And so before, before the miracle happened, before the mending came to the broken places, God walked me on a four and a half year journey of trusting him and saying, even if not, mm-hmm. and learning to put my faith in his bride, his church again, and get involved and say, okay, you're going to let me down and I'm going to let you down, but we're going to do the best we can for Mm -hmm. one another. And there were a lot of lies and a lot of, you're not wanted, you're not loved, you're not good enough, you're too much that I had to battle because Mm -hmm. of what had happened before. Um, And so those skeletons did teach me how to dance, but my life it was a dance that I didn't want to be doing, if that makes sense. It was like, <laughs> yeah. I, wanted, I wanted the dance of the healing and restoration and reconciliation. And that just wasn't the story that God appeared to be writing. But little do we know, you know, like mm-hmm. he's always up to so much more. So than much we more. See or can imagine. Ephesians 3.20 says that so clearly. He is doing more than we can even imagine that he could be doing. Mm-hmm all the time, which is why I am so passionate about not writing my own story and letting him be the one who holds the pen because it just, it wouldn't look how it does today. It couldn't have been this good. So what happened is that this best friend of mine who, the same one that we had fought four and a half years earlier, Mm -hmm. um, at this point, it is my junior year of college. So four and a half years have gone by and she is at a college several, several hours away. I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. And from social media, the little that I can see <laughs> is that we have both found our people. Um, at that point, it had been three years for me of learning how to trust the body of Christ again. And I had, thank God, made it to that place. And life was good. It was beautiful. But I still missed her, and I still prayed every single day that God would do something with what had been broken. And more specifically, I prayed that He would bring reconciliation to that relationship. I didn't pray that we would be best friends or anything like that. I just wanted to be um, cordial. (laughs) I wanted there to be some sort of kind of an agreement to be kind to each other Mm -hmm. Um, because at that point it was just complete silence and I just felt like that's not what the body of Christ is supposed to look like you know like we don't have to agree on everything but we should agree on loving each other in the name of Jesus Mm -hmm. and so I prayed for many many years and she felt very differently than I did and Finally, um, four and a half years later, after I had said, okay, God, I'm done. (laughs) In August, I actually prayed that prayer. We were together at a camp. Actually, it was July. We were together at a camp, which is where we first became friends. And we hadn't been there again since that time. 
And God ended up putting us together to serve at this camp for the same week. And I thought, this is it. This is the moment. (laughs) You know, like if I could write the story, this would be it. This would be the perfect ending, you know, the full circle moment. And nothing happened that whole week. The only thing that did happen (laughs) was that every single time I opened my Bible, no matter where I opened it to, you know, when you just like open the pages and let them fall open to something, (laughs) Psalms or whatever, every single time the verse that I saw said, wait. And I was so frustrated. It's like, God, I've been waiting. (laughs) Like, like how much, literally how much longer was my question. And that was in July. And then in October, um, she sent me an email and we started talking and it wasn't all, um, rainbows and unicorns and sunshine and all that (laughs) stuff. It was, it was really messy and it was muddy and it was just, it was not pleasant. (laughs) Um, but underneath the muck, we agreed to work through it, not knowing what the outcome of it would be, but at least knowing we're going to give this a shot and see what God has planned and in store for us. And so how scary, vulnerable, it was hard. Yeah. (laughs) And what I didn't realize until kind of wading through those deep waters with her was that I had spent, you know, the past four and a half years processing and healing and moving on. But she had spent those four and a half years skipping the first step and just healing and moving on. She hadn't processed. And so when we did work through that, I got to experience the gift, I guess, of reprocessing. (laughs) (laughs) it, it It was quite a journey and it was painful, but it was no doubt worth it because by the time we came out of the other side of it, it was kind of just like this long, dark tunnel. Um, when we could finally see the light at the end of the tunnel, it was so beautiful. And it is literally the picture of the skeletons that taught me how to dance, dancing themselves. Because this girl, she has given me the grace and the permission to write about our story. And it's a whole chapter in my book. And the chapter is titled Broken and Mended because there was no other title for it. (laughs) I couldn't think of two words to describe it better because it was, it was just a mess. And now it is a story of redemption and reconciliation. And the most beautiful part about it to me is that neither one of us can take any credit for it because I mean, I had prayed for years for this and nothing happened and she just moved on and nothing happened. But God was always at work in the mess and what felt like an in-between was an in-between, but it was leading both of us to something that would ultimately give God so much glory because we can't, we can't sign our names to the ending of this story, but it is a joy to be able to tell it. And it is a gift that I don't take for granted because I know what it's like to be without community and to have it is just such a blessing. So what would you say to a person today who maybe has been living in a place where they're in the in-between of a broken relationship? 
somebody who they are praying and have been praying for reconciliation with, and yet nothing's happening, what would you say to them? I would say to just pray. And I know that that is kind of a Christian cliche thing to say. Um, But as you're praying, we don't know what happens because of our prayers, but we do know that things shift and things change. So I would say be faithful to pray, but don't forget that God will be faithful to you. So your story, it may not hold the ending that you're asking for, but ultimately God will be faithful. And his faithfulness may not look like giving you the ending that you're asking for. In fact, at Bible study last week, we were talking about different questions that we have about faith and about Jesus Christ and God and I told them, I said, you know, I don't want a God that I can explain. I don't want a God that makes perfect sense to me because then I might as well be God. And that would just be a disaster for the entire world. <laughs> but I want, I want a God with mystery because that means he has such greater plans for us than we could even imagine. And so if you don't have the answer to whatever question you're asking, or if you're in an in-between that you don't want to be in, know that I'm praying for you in that stuck place because I know it's hard and it can be dark and confusing, but you're not ever alone. Mm -hmm. There's no page of the story of your life that doesn't include Jesus because he's on every page. So... Well, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that, because right now you are still in an in-between time with many things. I mean, we all are living in the in-between with our own ampersands, right? And one of the ones you write about, which I really want you to talk about, because I have some listeners who are single. And if you're single out there, hello to you. Caitlin, Shout out to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, a lot of the people who come and share with me at Mud Stories are married. And you have a unique perspective in that you're single. And so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what you wrote about in your book. So vulnerably, with such beauty and grace, you share your heart longing and the raw truth of the pain that's involved in wanting to be married, wanting to be a mom, wanting to share life with a partner, and yet you're facing and living in the in-between. Yes, the community component, you've seen full circle what God did to bring you to the other side of the in-between, but there's still ampersands that you're living through and in and embracing Jesus along the way. You know, in one way or another, I think Every single person is in at least one in between, mm-hmm. one ampersand season. And so, yes, I can kind of wrap up the ties on the health stuff. And the community story certainly has a beautiful ending. Um, but I'm still in the in between. And mm-hmm. right now it is with singleness. And I am wringing my hands right now because this is just, this is the hard part <laughs> for yeah. me. Um, This is the chapter of my book that I did not want to write. It was not in the plan, and I tried (laughs) really hard to get out of it. (laughs) I had some Mm -hmm. conversations with God. I said, people don't need to know this. Like, this is is just you and me, God, (laughs) you and me, and we're going to deal with it. And he said, no, there are so many single people out Mm -hmm. there who need this. But there are also people who are not single, who, number one, have single friends, or 
Number two, have a different dream that they can relate this to. And so for me, the book chapter is Names and Dreams. And I say in the chapter that I never, ever, ever wanted to have a book come out with the last name Bouchelin on it and have it be my book. Because the way I had planned my life, you know, was to get married and have a kid and then write a book, you know, down the road, maybe 10, 15 years from now. The Caitlin master plan. (laughs) But, you know, that is not how God had this going, apparently. (laughs) And so, yeah, the front cover of the book says Caitlin Bouchelin. And every time I see it, it reminds me that I don't know the future of my life. I definitely um, wouldn't have written it this way, but it is so good. And so the the main reason that I didn't want my last name to be that particular last name on the cover is that I want to be married. And it is not, um, it's not really something that people talk about that much, at least I think you're right. That I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I wrote a blog post recently and finally admitted, you know, in writing as much as, as I could say out loud, I admitted it out loud, um, <laughs> that I kind of feel a lot of the time like I've showed up, I've shown up to the blog scene too early because I don't have a ring on my hand and I don't have kids and I don't have a house to decorate. It, I just feel like I'm kind mm. of here before I'm supposed to be here because most of the people online have those things or at least one of those things um, to write about or talk about. Um, And I don't. And I believe that each of us have so much to offer. And the tagline of my blog is every story matters. So I, I know that, you know, my story doesn't suddenly matter when I get a ring on my hand. Mm -hmm. It matters just as much today as it, as it will, if that happens. That's right. But it's still, (laughs) it's still hard. Um, because no matter what your dream is for me, it is to be a wife and a mother, but you could substitute getting your master's degree or traveling to a country abroad or adopting a child, or whatever it is. Getting a new job. Get, yeah. Writing a book. A job, mm-hmm. writing a book, speaking. Um, it could be so many things. It could be something that feels kind of small, like learning to play an instrument, but it's still a dream, and it's something that you want to go after. But sometimes there are dreams that aren't really in our control, um, but it's still something that we long for and want desperately. <laughs> and for me, it is to be a wife and mother. Um, but I can't make that happen. And so right now life looks like, how do I live fully in this in-between season? Mm -hmm. Because the truth is this might not be an in-between season. And that's the hardest part of it all for me is saying, what if this is what it looks like forever? And what if 10 years down the road, I'm still single do I really want to look back on when I was 23 and think, why did you put your life on pause? Why did you not go after A, B, and C? Why did you not write that book? Why did you wait? So it is kind of a a messy place still, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it is something that I believe God is using. And so if you're single and you're listening, I would say this to you. And I also say it to myself is that God is not wasting 
the page of the story that we're on. And this page has a purpose. And whatever is broken or messy or just a longing that feels unfulfilled, God is more than aware of it. And he will use it. We don't know how he's going to use it, but we can trust that he will use it for our good and for his glory in some way. Absolutely. And I think even beyond singleness, Caitlin, I think for those of us who have passed through the stage of singleness and become married, uh, then there's the season of longing for children. And then there's the season when you have the children for longing for sleep. And then (laughs) when you have the children who sleep, it's the longing for being less busy. And then when you have the children who are adolescents, it's longing for a time when you have quiet and peace in your home. And then when they go to college, it's the longing that they're back instead of you being lonely and not knowing what to do with life. And then when you get grandchildren, it's the longing of wanting to see them or not see them as much. And (laughs) on and on, the longings for the next season go. And the challenge is being able to embrace the in-between where we currently are, find Jesus in that place, walk with him as our heart friend, lean into the lessons that he wants to teach us along the way, and find joy and gratitude in what it is he is giving rather than longing for our master plan that we've imagined to materialize. Mm-hmm. That is my hope um, in this book. It's honestly, it's a book for other people, but it's it's a book that is an offering to the Lord of saying, this is where I'm at right now. And I want to give you the glory for what you've done before, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to do my best to trust you and the next in-between season too. Absolutely. Caitlin, I'm so glad that you chose to write this book and that you are choosing even as you're living to live in the in-between and to show us and lead us through how to do it too. Is there anything in closing that you'd love to leave us with, uh, where we can find the book, that sort of thing? Well, you can find the book on amazon.com and I am on social media basically everywhere. (laughs) I need to limit myself some, but (laughs) so far I have not done so. Um, It's my first name and then underscore B-O-U-C-H. And then if there's anything that I could leave people with or tell them is, number one, your story matters, and it doesn't have to be wrapped up in a pretty bow. Um, Some seasons might be, but there are still going to be some in-betweens that you're walking through, um, and they don't have to be pretty, quote unquote. Um, And the other thing is that there's nothing that is too big or impossible or broken or messy for God. He is writing something that is so beautiful um, in the in-between moments that you wouldn't have chosen to live because he's on every page of your story, no matter what it looks like. Well, I know that uh, we can find your book on Amazon. It's beautiful. It has ampersands. When I look at the cover, I have to tell you, I just love the cover. Because Thank you. when I first picked it up, I thought it was lace, like a lace yes, pattern. It that was at the top and the bottom. Yes. Yes, I thought it was lace. And then I started reading the introduction and I came across this word ampersand, which you already explained to us. And I went back to the front of the book and I was stunned to realize that the lacy pattern I was admiring was just row upon row of ampersands. Yes. And it's beautiful. So 
you have self-published this book, and so I will have the link to purchase it on Amazon in the show notes page. Uh, they can find it there. It's called Even If Not. And if there's something that you listening were moved by, we'd love to have you reach out to us on Twitter. You can find us both there. Caitlin shared her Twitter handle. Mine is at Jackie, J-A-C-Q-U-E underscore Watkins. We'd love to interact with you. And in closing, I wanted to read this paragraph from your book because I just thought it was such a good way to end our time together. You write, no matter what tomorrow brings, we will trust you in the ampersand because at the end of the day, even in the questions and even as we pray for healing and hope for life in the dry places, even when we're lonely in the middle of the plot line, and even if we aren't sure that we'll see our dreams realized, we know that you are still good, you are still God, and you love us fiercely, madly, and deeply. You hold the pen our lives are the stories, and in the middle of all this mess, we still choose to believe you are writing a masterpiece, even if not, Lord, even if not. Caitlin, thank you for daring to write this book and for giving us the gift of your words and your story. I'm so thankful you joined us today. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved it. Well, I'm so thankful that Caitlin joined us today. You can find all the links mentioned in this episode over at the show notes page, JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 86, or right underneath the artwork of this show. Just click on your phone or in the notes section of whatever app that you're listening to. All the links will be there for you. Also, if you need someone to walk alongside you to do some coaching, I would love to be that person. Reach out to me at JackieWatkins.com forward slash coaching. And if you've not subscribed to this show, I would love it if you'd consider doing that. Leave a rating, a review, whatever it is you're facing. May you know you are so loved and never, ever alone. Have a beautiful day.